0: Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my
1: Would you turn again to Hebrews? Probably have you've been bringing your Bible may fall open at that point automatically. We'll be reading from chapter 12. Again, and if you're using the Bible that you find in the chair pew, it's on page 1008. Those of you who may be visiting, we've been working through chapter 11, which is a series of descriptions of different people of faith in the Old Testament. And now he's drawing a conclusion in chapter 12, calling them to obedience. despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Thus the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, would you open up this word to our hearts? We are helpless. We will neglect it. We will not think about it further from the time we walk out of this building, unless your spirit applies it to our hearts. Lord, we by nature are hard hearted, but you have renewed our hearts. You've given us a heart. You put your word in our hearts. Lord, we pray, stir us up that we may embrace by faith and live out this word for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. How can you and I have energy and motivation to live out? The glory of Jesus Christ. How can we have the energy and motivation to do what is right, to say what is right, to think what is right? How can we be sustained in our trusting in God and doing good? Paul, uh, the writer here, not necessarily Paul, tells us it is in looking to Jesus. Last week we saw this first command that we should run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here he underscores that we only do so by looking to Jesus. This word looking means to look away from everything else in your immediate surroundings. It's not just to look to, but look away from everything else. And focus exclusively upon Jesus. Uh, The word Jesus is emphatic here. Look away from everything to Jesus and only Jesus. He's to be the focus. Concentrated attention. It's a present tense. It's taken with the verb running. So as you are running, as you run this race of endurance, Constantly, always have your eye fixed upon Jesus himself during the whole struggle. John Owen makes the point that we are to look away particularly from anything that would discourage us from faith in Christ. Anything that would discourage us from trusting in him. Anything that would discourage you from having confidence in. In His love and purpose for your life. Anything that would discourage you from believing that He has your ultimate good in view in everything that happens. That's a difficult one. When things turn upside down and your life doesn't turn out like you think it should. In a small or big way. To read the providence wrong. And you're being tempted to discouragement at that point. And he says, fix your eyes upon Jesus so that fixing your eyes upon him, you'll always have the energy and motivation, the trust in his goodness that he is indeed doing you good. One guy says, have eyes always only for him. Like a marriage situation where there's no one else. For instance, when somebody says, you know, for them to ask me the question, who do you love besides Kay? I'd say, what do you mean? Like romantically? You know, I'd be like, are you crazy? Nobody. Or imagine somebody say, I love my wife and I love, now I don't love her as much as my wife, but I love, no. It's exclusive. It's only. And that's the idea here. Have only eyes for Christ. That is what will sustain you. Then he is called here the author and finisher of faith. It's important. And, and here a, a little uh, behind the scenes talk about this passage, even though in your ESV and perhaps your NIV as well, it. It says our faith. The word our is not in the original. OK, so it that's an interpretation that he's referring to our faith. And I want to set forth another idea uh, from the passage. Literally, it reads, as the New American Standard says, the author and perfecter of faith. It even uses the definite Pronoun the faith to indicate the quality of faith or the nature of faith, faith itself, that he is the one who has championed faith in his own life. And he's the one that brings faith to complete expression. You see, it's really a focus upon the one who himself has exercised that faith in an ultimate manner. So you get the feel from chapter 11, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Moses, by faith, uh, all the, uh, the people in, uh, uh, I'm sorry, in, in somewhere in the Old Testament, uh, in Judges, Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. So he is saying, by faith, by faith, by faith. And then he says, now, keep your eyes fixed on the one Who is the champion of faith and the one who brings faith to the fullest expression. Even Jesus. That's the feel of the original. So, in the context, we're being pointed to his faith. The glory of his faith. Keeping our eyes fixed upon the one who exercised such faith. There had never been perfect faith until Christ. There had never been uncompromised, unmixed, unwavering faith. And so this first word that is translated in the ESV founder can also mean champion. It also emphasizes the priority and preeminence of faith. The supremacy of Jesus and bringing faith to complete realization. Now, let me illustrate it by my guitar. I was given a guitar from my former church as a going-away present. And it's a very nice guitar compared to the one that I had always had. And the problem is, I don't play the guitar that well. Uh, I play enough to lead singing barely if I have to. And play with the kids and that kind of thing with the guitar. So, uh, I think both Jacob and Dave Ratliff have played my guitar, just needing it or wanting to play on it a little bit. And can you imagine my guitar's reaction at that time? What is that sound? What is that sound? Is that coming out of me? You mean I can make sounds? No way! That's wonderful! I had no idea! Please take me home with you! (laughs) And then they put the guitar back. No, no, you know, (laughs) condemned to me for the rest of their life. You see, that's what happened to faith. Faith did not realize what it could be in a sense. You see, faith, this was the unprecedented world premiere of absolute trust. Of full confidence in God's goodness and promise no matter what happened to him. That's what Jesus exercised. That's the essence of his beauty and holiness and obedience. He absolutely trusted in the goodness and care and protection of his Father even when everything pointed the opposite. That is what pleased the Father. That is what pleased the Father. And when he said at his baptism and at the transfiguration, the voice from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He was well pleased with his faith, which showed itself, of course, in his trusting obedience. He always gave himself to obey this one because he always entrusted himself to his God. As a man and of course. It's always a little odd to speak of the God man because he is God and man, but he is true man and he truly exercised faith as a man. And he did so for our sake so that he could bring about our salvation. You see, we sometimes say that Hebrews 11 Contains the heroes of the faith. And certainly that's true, but according to our writer, there's really one hero of the faith. In fact, this word is used sometimes in that way. This word founder or hero or leader. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. In him alone, faith has reached perfection. So that earlier in chapter 10, quoting the psalm, he says, he puts the, these words in Jesus' Now, I have come to do thy will. That marked Jesus as the one who did the Father's will. But earlier in chapter 2, the writer does the same thing. He puts words that say, I have come. I will put my trust in you. See, that marked Christ's character. Chapter 2, verse 13. I will put my trust in you. I have come to do your will. He's the one who trusted and obeyed his Father. Now. Now. It's important for us then to see that this faith is not only an example to us; it actually determines our faith from now on. It, it, as one has said, it's not—it's determinative, not just exemplary. It sets the course for all future faith. It becomes now the the resource and support for faith. It really created a new dimension and possibility for faith. How is that? Well, for one, if you back up to chapter 10, verse 19. Here is something that never could have been true apart from Jesus Christ. This kind of assurance, this kind of intimacy with God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, this means the holy presence of God in heaven. By the blood of Jesus. You see, until that blood was shed, until Jesus was raised and entered himself into that holy place, there was no way for us to enter in there. Remember, in the Old Testament, the priest could only enter into the model of the holy place once a year. Okay? Okay? Nobody else could go in there. The priest, once a year, could go into the model of the holy place. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying we, with confidence, can go into the holy place through the blood of Jesus. That's a whole new dimension of faith. That's a whole new intimacy with God. You see, the author and the one who has brought faith to full expression, he has set a new course for faith. He's thrown the doors wide open to faith for us. Whole new possibilities that were not there before. Notice verse 20 of that same chapter by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's the idea that as the priest went into this model, now Jesus becomes the true priest to come into the true presence of God. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Even the word in verse 19 that we have confidence, we have boldness, boldness to enter into the presence of God. How could a sinner, you know, it's like a, a king of old. If you're a subject, you don't just saunder into his presence anytime you want to. That's just an earthly king. Now we're dealing with the king of all the earth and perfect holiness and we're sinners. How could we just walk into his presence? But we do so through Jesus Christ. So, you see, this, this statement, the author and finisher of faith, is, is, is huge. It's gigantic. It's set a new course for history in this regard. And you can understand a little more of what happened to faith by thinking of what has happened to promise. Because faith depends on promise. It says in chapter 8, That he ushered in a new covenant, and as the writer says there, based on better promises. So we've got promises that we've never had before, like the one we have just read of entering into the presence of God. And of course, better promises mean more for faith to sink its teeth into. More for faith to get a hold of and draw near. More to encourage faith and support faith and excite faith. So the promised foundation in Christ is fully laid now for faith to build itself upon. For it is the time for faith. It's the glorious time for faith. We can speak of the broad shoulders of the promise that we have in Christ. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, all the promises find their yes in him. All the promises are stamped yes, yes. It's as though every promise is set there and you look over and you see the gift and salvation and redemption of Christ at the right hand of God. and You say, that's a yes. You see another promise. You look at that's a yes, yes, yes. You look at any promise and you think, could this promise be for me? You look at Christ and it says stamp yes in Christ. If he's given the son, if the son has died for us and brought us into the presence of God and God's purposes are fixed to do us good, then all the promises are ours. And in this chapter before the the writer of Hebrews has emphasized that they had not received what was promised. Like in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Chapter 11, verse 13. And later in verse 39, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. But now we have received the promise in Christ. It's a whole new ball game. The promise of Jesus is here. And so the promise is, as, as uh, Peter writes in Second Peter, it's the means by which we lay hold of God. The promises are like handles by which you can cling to him and trust in him and count on him and rest in him and have confidence in what he's going to do for you. That's what the promises are. And so through Christ's redemption, you can say that God is covered in promise handles. <laughs> we talk about love handles and I've got a good pair of them myself. <clears throat> but and I, I hope this won't be lost on you, but God's love handles are quite different. These are the promises that he has in Christ Jesus. And if you could think of God always giving himself to you and saying, lay hold of me. These are my handles of love. These are the handles by which you receive and rest on my love for you, that you believe in my love and have confidence in that love and you act boldly on the basis of that love. And you're not given to self-pity and you're not given to anxiety. You're not given to fears and you're not giving yourself to the lust of the world because you are bound in laying hold of me by promise. Believing in that promise. Believing in his good intentions. So his promises, you see, are all invitations to his grace and mercy. Invitations to put your life into his hands. To give your life up to His care and protection. Jesus has provided a whole new opportunity for faith. He is the author, He is the champion of faith, He is the one who's brought faith to perfection. And this means for you and me, as we begin. All the more we look to him and him alone. We look to all that he will do for us and to nothing else. This uh, lady, Alison Hall, gives an illustration uh, from her uh, farm and ranch in the Midwest. She says, my family raises sheep and cattle in the Midwest. And one day a flash flood filled the ravines and left my aunt's sheep. Stranded on a hill. My relatives arrived with ropes, boats and floats and struggled through the raging waters to try to coax the animals into the boats with no luck. Coaxed and urged and called and everything they could do. The sheep just went right on eating the grass on the hill. By sundown, however, the sheep had eaten the grass around them. They stepped into the water swam past the speechless men in the boats, climbed up the other side of the ravine and trotted to the nearest field. (laughs) You imagine the sheep talking to each other. Hey, what's with Captain Nemo here? You know, but I want to propose to you that Satan, Satan is like the guy in the boat, and all of the floods and discouragement and suffering we face in the midst of all of that he offers you to come get in his boat and he sits there in his temptations and Thrown out the pleasures of the world, the power of the world, the protection. If you leave Christ and you get to be a part of everybody, you'll be popular, you won't be rejected. You can imagine for these people, if they abandoned Christ, even for Judaism at this point, it would be a very safe environment. And they could hold on to Yahweh and just not have to bother with Jesus anymore. Not be persecuted, not lose their property, not be thrown in jail, not die. He offers you this relief. But we have to be just like those sheep. We have to be, as Moffat puts it, to have no eyes for anyone or anything except Jesus. No motivation for but Christ, no allurement or persuasion but Christ. And here's the point to be feeding on his promise and to look past the boats. And go to the next promise, and the next promise, and the next promise. Is that what you're feeding on every day? Are you living off the promises of God? Are they sustaining you, thrilling you, helping to turn you away from self-pity? Helping to turn you away from woe is me? Why did this happen? Are you being sustained by the promises of God? These people were facing death and destruction and total loss. And still, the writer of Hebrews is saying, You hang in there and you follow and keep your eyes on the true champion and the one who perfected faith, who has opened up the promise as never before. Keep your eyes focused upon him so that you would not be turned away and be lost. Stay out of the boats. And just swim to the next hill of promise, and the next hill of promise, and the next hill of promise. Keep your eyes upon Jesus. It's interesting, this this word, looking, is used in Maccabees when they're describing some of the Jews that were killed under persecution. And this is the way they described them. Here lie buried an aged priest and an aged woman. And seven sons, we spoke about them a few weeks ago, because of the violence of the tyrant who wished to destroy the way of life of the Hebrews, they vindicated their nation looking to God. Same exact phrase, except to God. Looking away, you see, from their afflictions, the persecution, the death that they were facing. They looked away from that. They looked to God himself. Enduring torture, even to death, And here, to point out, he says, you know, he doesn't use the word Christ. He uses the word Jesus to emphasize not only his humanity, but to emphasize his sufferings. And then, of course, that's what he talks about. Uh, the, the one who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. And then in verse three, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility. And the word consider there is to weigh carefully, weigh carefully all that he suffered. And then you think this is the Lord of glory who suffered all of this for me. Am I then going to turn away? Am I then going to say this is too much? I won't follow you that far. That's the feel of this. The the priest and the, the woman fixed their eyes upon God here we fix our eyes upon our lord who suffered think of how much how poignant that is fixing our eyes upon the very one who came and took upon our flesh and suffered on our behalf to bring us to heaven keep your eyes fixed upon him it's interesting when uh, screwtape is talking to wormwood in C.S. Lewis's screw tape Letters. And you, those of you not familiar, here's a, a senior demon telling a younger demon how to tempt. Whatever men expect, they soon come to think they have a right to it. The sense of disappointment can, with very little skill on our part, be turned into a sense of injury. That's what we want. Have them, have them not be thinking of the privileges that they have in Christ. The glory that is to come. The overwhelming sense of being loved by Christ and His death on the cross. But let them begin to fix upon what they thought life was going to be. To be disappointed and then to think, I've been injured. I've been left out. Self-pity. So as we fix our eyes upon Jesus, the one who himself suffered, it encourages us, it strengthens us. And at the same time, realizing that only he can enable me to believe. He is, he is the only one who has exercised faith. And the very meaning then is you look to the only one that can sustain you in faith. And as we've talked about last week, and we talked about the outpouring of the spirit at Pentecost today, but last week, the ascension. And we look to the one who is at the right hand of God, who alone has the resources to sustain us as we believe. Come to him and say, Lord, I don't believe you. Lord, I am bound in self-pity. Lord, I'm so drawn away to the pleasures and lusts of this world because I don't see your goodness and I'm not trusting you. You cry out. It doesn't say uh, lean on yourself. It doesn't say look to your own strength. Gather it from within you. No, look away from yourself. You have no strength. You have nothing. Look to Him only. And I would end by saying look to Him completely. You know, we can never be perfect. We can never fully give ourselves to Christ. But we want to die trying, don't we? Literally. Literally. We want to die trying to give ourselves completely to Jesus Christ. Thomas More said this, if you make indentures with God, that means agreements. Okay, if you make agreements with God, how much you will serve him. You get it? Here's my agreement, Lord. I'll give you this much of my life, but no more. He says, if you make that kind of agreement with God. You know, God, don't come any further in my life. I don't want to give any more. Just here's your part. Here's my part. He says, you will find that you have signed both agreements. God doesn't sign that agreement. You look at the other side. Oh, oh, that was me. Okay. He is worthy. This one who gave himself so completely, he is worthy, isn't he? Of your giving yourself helplessly into his hands. Lewis quotes Mr. Law saying, if you've not chosen the kingdom of God, it will make in the end no difference what you've chosen instead. Lewis comments, those are hard words to take. In other words, it doesn't matter what you've turned away to follow besides Christ. There's nothing noble in that. He says, will it really make no difference whether it was women or patriotism, cocaine or art, whiskey or a seat in the cabinet, money or science? Well, no difference that matters. We shall have missed the end for which we are formed and rejected the only thing that satisfies. Does it matter to a man dying in a desert by which choice of route he missed the only well? Doesn't matter, does it? You missed the well. Yeah, but I took this path. <laughs> you missed the well. Yeah, but look at all the, this was better than that path. You missed the well. Looking to Jesus. Away from anything else. Looking to Jesus. Believing His promises. May God give us grace. Have you begun to do that in your life? Sitting here today, do you have to say, I've not even begun to look to Jesus. I've not even begun to... Count upon his promise that what he's talking about of entrusting my life and being at least beginning in some way to be thrilled at what Jesus has promised me in the way of forgiveness and transformation and future intimacy with him and guiding every day. No, I I don't. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait one minute. You can say to him right now, Lord Jesus. In fact, say to him like. The blind man, son of David, have mercy on me. That's a good prayer. Have mercy on me. I'm lost, I'm blind, I'm fixed in my sin, I'm guilty. Lord, by your death on the cross, forgive me of my sin. By your resurrected life, strengthen me, make me new. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, we all, we all confess in one way or another how often our eyes are taken off of you. And we don't mean by this that we can't concentrate at work or focus on the responsibilities you've given us. But Lord, you know what we mean by this, that our hearts are far from you. That the reason we're doing what we're doing is not the glory of Christ. that We have no sense of your presence and goodness that... We have begun to have different feelings toward those closest to us and mistreat one another and be involved in desires that are harmful. And Lord, we, we so often introduce idols and other reasons by which we would be satisfied besides Christ Himself. We pray You would forgive us. Forgive us even as Your people, Lord, that... We can't be perfect in our love for you. And Lord, we thank you that you, you do make us clean. We thank you that even in the midst of our struggle, that we are covered in the blood of Christ, that we are under the umbrella of his righteousness, that we stand in a fixed relationship, even as we saw earlier in our responsive reading, we're fixed in a relationship of sons and daughters to God. And in that context, you nurture us and cherish us and are patient with us and are constantly working to change us, even as we strive to fix Jesus more and more in the heart and center of our lives. Lord, if there are some who have never begun to trust Christ, never have made Him the focus, may they do so even now and find the joy of giving their life to this glorious champion. Grant it Lord, by your mighty power. Grant us grace to love you in Jesus name. Amen pain.
0: Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Come with blissful ray, brave, radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away? And shall my soul with rapture trace the wonders of